You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 133. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening and also for all of your amazing support. I love seeing all of your messages, comments, tweets, and Instagram messages. It means so much to me, and I just feel truly blessed to be able to serve you in this way. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of the episode, I'll be speaking with Christine Breton of Lafa Bear about her experience using Squarespace. And now let's move on to today's show. Before we get to the actual interview, I want to share that Work and Worth, my new online mini course, is now open. I am so excited to start working with people who, like myself, as of even as recently as last year, almost a year ago today, are sick of finding their own self-worth up when their career is up and down when their career is down more than they would like. If you are sick of that yo-yo feeling or that hazy feeling like, your career and therefore yourself are never really where you want it to be. I totally understand. And I'm so excited to help you break that cycle. Listen to your intuition, of course, first and foremost, and then check out the Work and Worth website over at workandworth.com to register and find out more. Class is going to begin Wednesday, April 6th. Now let's move on to today's show. This is a fascinating intersection of three different things. Smart Passive Income, Fizzle.co, and The Lively Show. Back in the day when I was learning how to podcast, I found Smart Passive Income and Pat Flynn's podcasting tutorial. I used it to get The Lively Show started and then started listening to Smart Passive Income, Pat's podcast, ever since. In listening to Smart Passive Income, I learned about Corbett Barr and Fizzle.co. Fizzle.co is an online entrepreneur community helping people to connect with one another, get online entrepreneurial training, and more. So I found out about Corbett, interviewed him for The Lively Show, then interviewed Pat Flynn for The Lively Show from Smart Passive Income, and now I am on both of those sites as of this week. So if you would like to go hear my founder story over at fizzle.co, You can do so by clicking the link that's in the show notes for this episode, which is over at jesslively.com slash Barrett Brooks. And I was just on Smart Passive Income. That episode aired yesterday over at smartpassiveincome.com, or you can find the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. So this is kind of crazy because in addition to me and how I got to know them, Barrett Brooks, who's one of the team members on fizzle.co is here on The Lively Show today. So we're kind of all swapping places, if you will. So today's episode's with Barrett. I got to know Barrett because I was preparing for the founder interview in Portland that I recorded with Fizzle a few weeks ago. As we were having our conversation, he shared a recent experience where he was really starting to feel discontent around his career and thought it was time for him to make a shift to a new job. How many people listening can relate to that? How many times have we maybe had that feeling ourselves that we're not liking where we are in our careers and it's time to start thinking of making a new move? What's different about Barrett is that he didn't start looking for a new job right away. He did not follow that impulse and instead he did something that transformed his entire experience and helped him to avoid 
falling into the same patterns, really, that he would have fallen into had he made the switch to another career without doing this deep introspective work first. I believe this is one of the most important episodes on career we've ever had. So whether or not you are enjoying your career at this moment or not, I think this episode is super important to listen to because A, it's going to help you if you're struggling right now with this situation, or B, if you're loving your job right now, there may come a time in your career where you're not loving it. And hopefully this will be in the back of your mind and give you a set of tools and a way of approaching that discontent that's really going to give you lasting fulfillment. Let's go to the show. Barrett, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jess. Let's start with your background. Tell us how you got to where you are. Sure. So this week, kind of preparing to come on the show with you, I listened to a few recent episodes of your show, and one that really resonated with me was Alex Icon, and he kind of started with his early adulthood story, I'll call it, when he was 18, kind of 10 years prior to your conversation, and having a hard time in life, struggling to find who he was and to be authentic and how he was acting in his life. And I'll start in the same place and just say that the kind of origin story for me goes back to when I was 18 or 19, and I was, for lack of a better word, kind of a real well, I won't cuss. I'll say that I was just not the most enjoyable person to be around. How about that? And that resulted in me having a lot of legal trouble, actually. So when I was 16, I got arrested for drinking. I got another minor in possession of alcohol while I was in high school. And then I got a third one in my freshman year of college. That led to legal probation, to school probation, where if I I got in trouble one more time with the law while I was in school, they would have kicked me out for a full year and I would have had to take time off from school. That was kind of a real low point for me. That was this crucible moment where I had to decide which of two paths I was going to take. You know, was I going to continue drinking and pursuing women and skipping class and doing all of the things that I was doing that I actually now realize are not an authentic version of me? Or was I going to take a different path and kind of become a better person, do the hard work to to start digging and find what I want from my life outside of those easy vices that I was pursuing at the time? Was there any specific moment where you chose after you were in trouble with the law for the third time and you were about to face a year outside of school that helped you get back on track? It's a good question because I've asked myself this one on occasion. And I think when I look back, it was mentors. And I didn't call them mentors at the time. I didn't realize they were mentoring me at the time. But part of my college journey was that I joined a fraternity. And luckily, I joined one that had been kicked off campus recently and had come back. So it didn't have a long you know, kind of history of hazing still there. They were starting fresh and they had a lot of involvement from the university at the time. So they actually had a decent number of true leaders in the fraternity. And I had a few guys who kind of recommended that I get involved with some student organizations on campus. And then they made me the head of recruiting for the fraternity. And so I started to gain some responsibility through both the fraternity and other campus organizations. And I think that was when I realized that I could start applying my energy to more fruitful pursuits, you know, that I could apply my energy to helping other people instead of just being selfish with all of my time. And how did that get you to where you are today? So, I, you know, I think I had a similar battle with knowing who I was when I graduated college. And I, I went back and forth between starting a business and going the route of becoming a management consultant, because that was kind of the pinnacle of graduating from undergraduate business school was you become a management consultant. You get to say that you're a consultant and you get paid money and it, you know all those things, the money, prestige, and power kind of pursuit. And I think what always appealed to me was, was starting a business, was entrepreneurship. My mother's an entrepreneur. 
Um, I kind of grew up being an entrepreneur. I could say I started my first business when I was probably eight or 10 walking around the neighborhood washing cars. But again, the cool thing to do was to become a management consultant. And so that was my first step out of college was I went and joined Ernst & Young, which is one of the big accounting firms in the U.S. And they have a little practice called performance improvement that's basically consulting. And I started there, worked there for a year and realized that I had made the wrong choice, basically. And the thing that triggered that for me was I went and volunteered at a summer camp for children who had been abused and neglected and were in foster care in the state of Georgia. And at that camp, they have this really cool one counselor to one camper policy where every camper who's there has just one counselor. It's not a big group of kids for every counselor. And that's to, to show the kids that they can be loved, that one person can give them the attention they deserve for a full week, that they are the sole focus, which is not what they get at home in the foster system oftentimes. And the deep sense of meaning I got from spending that time showed me that I was out of line with my values as far as the work I was doing in the consulting world and just where that would lead me over time. So about a year after I joined Ernst & Young, I decided to quit my job. And that came as a great surprise to the partner I was working for. But for me, it was kind of the most authentic thing I could do at the time. It was the thing that most represented the work that I felt like I needed to be doing. So I started a company called Living for Monday. And the whole goal behind that company was to help college students coming behind me uh, go through a more intentional personal development process and then use that information they learned about themselves to get a job that was more authentic to what they really wanted to end up doing in their lives. I did that for about three years and I kind of started by doing some career search coaching with college students to get in their mind frame, to understand where they're coming from, to understand their needs. I used that coaching knowledge then to build this curriculum that was kind of half personal development and helping them build self-awareness and then half career search tools. So resume and research and cover letters and all that good stuff. And what I found was that the product was very effective. We did a pilot program at my alma mater. We took 40 students through the program and something like 90% of them landed a job that they were highly satisfied with. And that was compared to like a 78% placement rate period for the whole business school. And so it was really successful. But what I found over time was that college students were really bad customers because they don't have a ton of money. And the money they do have, they tend to spend on food and beer and all of the other things college students spend their money on. So it was difficult to actually sell a product. And that realization through a series of events kind of started to make me realize that I might not be able to make that business work. And the capstone on that was I went to work for Seth Godin on a project in New York for two weeks in the summer of 2013. That was like getting an entrepreneurial MBA in two weeks. It was a crash course in how to run a business and how to think about business ideas and how to know when to keep going and when to quit. So many things that came out of that. And the biggest one was I realized it was time to move on from Living for Monday as a business, as an idea, because it was not likely to become the kind of thing that could support me and my girlfriend at the time, who's now become my fiance. It was just not going to be a good long-term venture for me. And so that led me then to Fizzle, which is where I am today. So, all right, let's talk now how you got from there to Fizzle. Sure. So in the process of running Living for Monday, at one point I had raised about $100,000 to keep funding the company because we hadn't found a good business model. Uh, and we were about two years in at that point. So raised that money, hired an employee. In the middle of that, went to work for Seth for two weeks, came back, and I realized that we either needed to make a significant pivot or shut the thing down. 
So my employee and I, we worked on a plan for how we could adjust the business model. And we took that to our investor. The investor looked at it and said, I don't know how the internet thing works. He was kind of an old school business person who had been in business a lot longer than the internet was a prominent thing in running businesses. And he basically said, I don't understand this. It might work, but you're not going to do it on my dime. So you got a couple options. Either you can shut this thing down or you can take a business idea I have and you can run with that and I'll keep paying you until that becomes profitable. And his business idea was to start a paper newsletter that we would send to small business owners about hiring, firing, and developing talent basically within their small businesses. And that just exploded my brain in so many ways. The primary reason being that it was a paper newsletter. That was kind of the point when I knew that there weren't many options left and there was no clear path to profitability at Living for Monday within a short amount of time. And so that to me said, all right, it's time to hang up the cleats on this one and go find what's next. And how do you find Fizzle? So at that time, Corbett Barr, who's the CEO of Fizzle, who's been on your show, he had been a mentor to me throughout the process of starting Living for Monday. And one of the people who had always worked with him was a guy named Caleb Wojcik, who is now running a video production company. And Caleb and I had gotten to know one another and started a mastermind group together that's now been running for four years or five years, something like that. So Caleb was a very good friend. He was working at Fizzle, and they happened to be hiring for a fourth team member at that time. And the timing just worked out to where they were hiring. I was leaving my business, and I applied, and we had a conversation, and it just seemed like it was going to be a good fit. So that first role was became director of member success. My job was kind of to handle both the customer service, kind of responding to people writing into us about issues or canceling their membership or whatever, but also the proactive, how do we make our customers more successful? How do we proactively engage them, sending them emails or making the product better so that they're more likely to start successful businesses? So that was my first role there, and I did that for about a year. How did you feel about making the switch from being CEO of your startup to working on a team collaboratively with people who had already started the thing in the first place? Well, there were a couple sides to it. So on one hand, it was took a lot of humility. It took a lot of kind of humbling myself and saying, all right, now it's time to go back into a period of learning, of sharpening my skills, of preparing myself for whatever might come later in my career. And I knew that meant that I needed more interaction with the team. I needed some mentors to learn from. I needed to see what a successful business was like. And so it was hard. I mean, it was hard to go from CEO mode to the underling on the team. And it took a lot of adjustment for me to just get my psyche out of that world of you're the decision maker into your job is to help fulfill the vision and mission of someone else. But as time went on, I think I really adopted that as an interesting opportunity for me to learn and to see how a business operates without being on the hook for making every dollar. And I think it became a great advantage for me. So when you first started, were you all sunshine and roses? Were you thinking this is like a match made in heaven? Or what was your initial feeling? I know there's probably some of that that you were describing of like, you're no longer in the commander seat. But was it overall pretty positive and high expectations? Honestly, when I shut Living for Monday down, I was kind of broken. I was kind of in this place where I had racked up a bunch of credit card debt. I had been making almost no money for three years. The emotional toll and stress from that business had done so much to me. I had gone through periods of depression and 
that stress also manifested itself in hypochondria for me. And I just had so much going on where I was just thankful to have something that was safe, that was working with people that I knew and trusted already. So it took me probably six months to even unwind from being so attached to that business and just the emotional burden of that whole process of running and shutting down that business. So I think early on it was just oh, thank God I have something that can kind of calm me down, give me a place to be, a good set of work to do that I know you know, exactly what needs to get done every day and a paycheck that's going to come in every two weeks. We actually had Michelle Gronkowski on the show who was running her own business and ignoring her intuition signs that it was time to end. And when she describes her realization that it was time to end, she says it was like she didn't realize she was so underwater. And what you're describing kind of makes me think of you maybe having a similar experience with the business before you let it go, that you were like drowning. And then this was your first life raft. Definitely. Yep. It it absolutely felt like a life raft. And I was just happy to have found it. And nothing else really mattered in that moment. I think that was the only thing that mattered for at least six months was just having a team, having something to do and having money to come in and feeling like, okay, the burden has been lifted a little bit and I can breathe again. Okay. So after that six months of decompression, what happened next? So I think I started to get a little bit more of my fire back. I got some of that entrepreneurial energy back. I started to see opportunities to have ideas again. And it was a noticeable change for me. I think I started getting back in the gym. So I got some of my baseline habits going again. My diet was in order. You know, Again, we were living in an apartment. There was not as much pressure on the bills every month. So I was kind of in this good headspace. I think my energy picked up. I started writing on my own side again. I was super productive at work. I tackled a lot of projects outside of just the day-to-day tasks that I needed to tackle. And yeah, I think I hit a good period. And then Caleb decided to leave Fizzle. And that really shook me because I was just coming out of this period of kind of recovering from the last thing. And Caleb was one of my best friends. He's going to be in my wedding. And it really shook me when he decided to leave Fizzle. I completely respected his decision to start a business. But it was also very difficult realizing that that was going to change my day-to-day reality. We were going to go from four team members to three. My workload was going to increase. My relationship to the team was going to change. And so that kind of sent me back into a little bit of a spiral again for a few months and was quite challenging. And I came out of that and I started doing some, some coaching on the side, some business coaching, which I had done prior to bring in some more income. I did a little bit of consulting. And it turned out that early in... I guess 2015, I got a job offer from a friend who knew me quite well, was starting a new startup out of Atlanta that was kind of an online financial advisor. And that was challenging for me. It was out of the blue. I didn't expect it. And I had this great offer that would have been a salary increase, ownership in the business. And I was scared to take it to Corbett at the time. You know, Corbett's our CEO. And so I got on the phone with Corbett and I said, hey, man, you know, I need to talk to you about this thing. And I think any boss kind of knows what's happening when language like that comes out. But I told him about the opportunity and he did a great job of being a mentor first. He said, you know, so what is it? You know, what would be your role? What's your experience with this type of work? Have you ever been in a venture-backed startup? You know, just a lot of good questions that allowed me to think through it. And then he closed the conversation with, and of course, if it's a matter of money, we'll match everything they're offering you so that that's not why you leave. And that was this incredible jolt of confidence for me coming from Corbett with him saying, you know, Caleb's left the business now. 
you're our third team member. It's just Chase and I who are the co-founders and you at this point. And we trust you. We want you to be a part of this business. And here's how much we trust you. And that was a great moment. That kind of started to bring me back out of that darkness of Caleb leaving and that struggle I had been in. And that also led to a new role, which was director of growth and marketing at Fizzle. And then we hired Steph Crowder to join our team to backfill my role as director of customer success. Who actually came from the Lively Show, correct? She did. That's right. That's how she found Fizzle was through the Lively Show. So I guess that was uh, nine months ago now. And for the past nine months, I have been director of growth and marketing at Fizzle. And that kind of brings us up to present day, I guess, which was quite a long story, but hopefully it was interesting. Yeah. So I want to go more in depth about when you felt like things weren't aligning because we had a conversation previously about values. It was a fascinating conversation and it was so good. I knew we needed to share it here on the show because I think that there are people in small businesses like this in a small environment or also in a large corporation that have to work with other people. And when you work with other people in any context, even relationships or friendships or family members, value clashes can happen. And often we're not taught to look at it through the lens of a values clash, right? We're not even really using that term very often in our lexicon, usually in our day-to-day lives. We're not like, oh, we have such different values than I do. But really when we're annoyed at people, (laughs) often their habits are a result of their values. And so we point at the actions and the frustrations we have when really the values that lie beneath them are truly where the disconnect lies. So would you mind going into a little bit about the value disconnect that you were experiencing during some of that period as well? Sure. So I think a lot of it happened over this past year, really. And as I entered into this new role where my goal, the sole goal of the role was basically to grow the company, to go from you know where we were today to where we want to be tomorrow. And in that process, I think so much of my motivation was centered on how do we get more members? How do we get more members? And every project idea I had was through that lens, I guess, was how do we go from where we are to where we want to be? And I'm a very driven person. Like I, I really like results. I like concrete plans. I like to know, you know, how to get from where we are to the next step and the next step and the next step. And in the process, I think what started to happen was I got out of whack with where the rest of the team was. So I was pushing to make us bigger, whereas the rest of the team was not entirely sure that was what they wanted. But I didn't see that at the time. All I saw was I was bringing ideas to the table. I was bringing projects to the table and I just kept hearing no, 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 we're not going to do that. No, no. And sometimes I would bring an idea to the table and six months later that would come back out and then we would pursue it. But it was because someone else brought it up or whatever. So there were just these little nagging things that kept happening. What that led to was just a general sense of dissatisfaction for me. I didn't feel like I understood where we were going as a company because my understanding was that based on me having a role that was centered on growth, that we wanted to grow, that we wanted to have more members, that we wanted to make more money, that we wanted to have more team members. And I'm not sure that that was actually aligned with the vision for the business, but I didn't have a clear understanding of what that vision was. And so a lot of what I was feeling at the time was like I was banging my head against the wall trying to come up with an idea that was aligned with this kind of phantom vision that was out there, but that I didn't see clearly. And all I kept hearing was no. And so that led me kind of down this spiral again, where I felt like we were not on the same page, but I wasn't quite sure why. And at the time I was working in Atlanta. So I now live in Portland, Oregon, and I moved at the end of 2015. 
but I was working remotely and had been for about 18 months. And so that's a three-hour time difference from Chase and Corbett, who are here in Portland. And I thought maybe that was part of the problem. Maybe we're just a little out of sync. Maybe we don't work together enough. Maybe that will help. And so my fiance and I moved to Oregon, not just for work, but to experience something new, to go on an adventure together. She got a great career opportunity out here as well. And what that actually did was it forced us into some of the conversations that were getting lost over the time zone difference and over working remotely. And we started to have to talk through some of the challenges, but I don't think either of us were quite sure what was driving that. And I think, you know, to your point of the question, it was really a values thing. It was, you're pushing for this bigger exponential growth kind of company, and that's not what we ever set out to build here. And that started this kind of three to five month process of trying to unwind what exactly was going on internally and what was driving some of the challenges we were facing. What was your first reaction when you started to realize there was that disconnect between you and the team? It was terrible because it was probably not long after we had picked up our lives and moved 2,500 miles across the country. And, you know, they didn't ask me to do that specifically. I think they thought it would be, you know, a great move. It would be nice to be on the same time zone and all of that. But they were very clear. You don't have to do this for Fizzle. We are perfectly happy with you working remotely. But it was something I wanted and it was something my fiance and I wanted. And so we did it. But still, to get here and then shortly thereafter realize, oh man, this might not be going that well, was kind of terrifying. This whole thing at Fizzle goes south and doesn't work out to where I'm going to be here long term. We're now in a new city where I don't have a strong network. I'm not ready to start another business right now from a financial or an emotional standpoint. And I'm not sure what will happen next. And so I think the overwhelming feeling was a little bit of, one of being trapped, of kind of being in the situation that we had put ourselves in where I didn't have many options and yet I was so frustrated and so unsure of the work that I was doing at Fizzle that it was really a bad spot to be in and it, I can tell you it did not feel good for sure. And I think that many people listening may be able to relate to a time in their lives or a current situation in their lives where they're feeling that same feeling. When you're feeling that trappedness, What did your ego, by chance, want to do about that trappedness? I think everything in me wanted to prove that I would be fine without Fizzle, that I could find another job, or that if I needed to, I could start another company, that my livelihood, that my sense of self-worth were not based on Fizzle, that I could do whatever I needed to do to make it outside of that. And I think the natural output of that is you start looking for jobs, you start thinking of business ideas, you start trying to find other options where there were none previously in your mind. You start to look for the escape from the trapped feeling. Yeah, exactly. As you're looking for that, something happens and shifts your perspective on the situation. Would you mind sharing what that moment was? You know, I had started doing a lot of just digging personally and I actually went back to this assessment that I did in college. I I went through this two-year certificate in personal and organizational leadership in college. And so it was kind of in addition to my major there. And it was this great program on developing self-awareness and then understanding how to lead teams and develop teams within organizations. And during that program, we took an assessment called the Highlands Ability Battery. And it was about a three-hour test that came back with this incredible feedback about personality, about your work style, about your communication style, about some of your natural abilities, 
So related to skill sets that you might build. And it was a great time at the end of last year to kind of revisit who I am from an objective standpoint. And that was the beautiful thing about that program in college was that they worked very hard to give you an objective viewpoint on who you are, to get you outside of your own head, outside of your own ego, and help you to see objectively what you look like. And going through that feedback was so fascinating because as I read it, I was seeing all of the things that I was ignoring about myself and my work at Fizzle and in pushing us to try and be bigger and better and all of these things. And so I made this laundry list of things that were missing that this assessment told me that I would need in my work and in my communication style. And so that was kind of the first step was I looked inward. I looked at who am I and what's going on with me? Because maybe it's not a problem with the business. Maybe it's not a problem with the team. Maybe it's a problem I'm actually facing. And I started there and then I reached out to a mentor and I just kind of asked him for 30 minutes of his time. I said, you know, can you spare some time to give me some objective feedback based on what you know about me and based on what you know about teams and organizations? And he said, sure. And we had a long conversation. And at the end, I asked him, you know, what's the one thing you would wish for me over the next few months based on what you know I'm capable of and based on the fact that I know you care about me? That's a good question, by the way. I feel like we should all be asking that. Can you say that again? Yeah. So it's the idea of other people sometimes have a better view on where you might go next than you do because you get so caught up in your own head. And so I like to ask the question, what would you wish for me over the next few months or the next year based on what you know about me and based on the fact that I know you care about me? And he gave me a couple of bullets, but one of them was the first thing I wish for you is that you go back to your team and have more conversations about this with the assumption that they're good people who want the best for their company and do have a clear vision for where they're going and that you're simply not hearing it. Boom. <laughs> yeah, literally, that, that it was like a bomb. How did you react when you heard that? I think this mentor and I have enough of a trust for one another that I took it at face value, that I took it as truth, that maybe I wasn't hearing everything that I thought I was hearing. And maybe, in fact, they do have a vision for what they want Fizzle to become. And I just wasn't hearing it in my terms. It made me feel like I had been selfish. It made me feel like I had potentially been missing something, willfully maybe, that could have given me more certainty and helped me understand how I could help make Fizzle better in a way that serves the vision that's there. It was a great comment. It was probably the number one thing I needed to hear because it allowed me to kind of open up, to quit clinching so hard and holding on to all of my opinions and go back to the table and have conversations that were much more open and honest and humble, I guess, about what I was hearing from them. Yeah, because when you're trying to escape and you're looking for the job offers and all those types of things, you're not looking inward, you're looking outward. You're looking for someone else to validate where you're at and where you're at at that moment before this moment we we're just speaking about with this truth bomb that just went off, your attitude was, I don't need to grow. I don't need to learn anywhere. I just need to find another place that supports where my growth is at in this moment. But by coming and looking inward and looking at this new truth bomb, you're recognizing that growth doesn't necessarily happen by shifting your circumstances, but by reapproaching your current circumstances in a new way that requires growth of you more than just keeping the same problems and going to a new situation. 
Exactly. And that was one of the other key points that I got from this mentor. He said, you know, you're a charismatic, talented person. You can find a job if you want to find a job. But that doesn't mean these problems are going to disappear. It doesn't mean they're just going to go away. You might just take them with you. That was revelatory for me. It allowed me to take a step back and say, all right, I like that challenge. I like being challenged in general. It helps me to work harder to kind of motivate myself. And this was a challenge. It was be open. Be open to possibility here. Don't just narrow in on one outcome from this whole process. And so we went back to the table and we had some great conversations. And what I realized was that there was clear vision. There was a clear set of principles that the founders were operating based on that I just hadn't heard clearly. And so one of the first things I tried to do was to get those four or five bullet points from them on what is fizzle to you? What do we represent? You know, what is the culture that we have here? Where, what are we operating based on? Or you might say, what are the values that we're operating under? And I listened, I recorded them, and then I tested whether I had actually heard them correctly by mirroring them back to the founders. And I said, this is what I've heard that are the key pillars of the fizzle culture. Is this true? And they made some corrections and we fixed some things, which I was glad they did. And then we had this list of kind of, let's see, there are one, two, three, four, five bullet points that were clear that these were the expectations I could have of what I was going to get from fizzle. And that was the moment when I realized I could finally be objective about whether this was the place I was going to continue to build my career and what I could expect from it and what I couldn't. And I think that was a really healthy realization. And this was part of our conversation the other day, Jess, where I think too often we pile on the expectations from one given area of our life. And that's often not fair. We can't get 100% of our fulfillment from our work or from our spouse or from our spiritual life or from wherever. They're not going to give you 100% of your fulfillment. And that was a revelatory moment for me. Did you think before that you had the unspoken assumption that it should have all come from Fizzle? I think I had the unspoken assumption that it should all come from my work. And that was just carried over to Fizzle. I think that came from way back when I started my career. You know, when I was in consulting, I think I felt that my work should be the primary, that should be the place where I'm deriving most of my fulfillment from. Yeah, I think that nowadays people are in Gen Y, I can say. My feeling is a lot of people feel willing to give their all to their careers if their careers give them their all. And that's not the case for a job, right? That's that's too much to put on this thing with a task and set of responsibilities, whether it's your own or whether it's someone else's corporation or something. That's a very high bar to reach. And ultimately, I really feel like we always kind of find it empty, right? Because even if we just put it all in there and we feel like we're getting it all there, that's not our whole lives. You know, it's not our relationships or our vitality. It's tricky. It is tricky. And, you know, there's a fine line because you do want your work to deliver some aspects of that. You do want to find some sense of fulfillment and meaning and all of that from work. But there's also work to be done outside of that where your personal life should deliver some of that and your relationship should. And and it's easy to ignore some of those other facets of life in favor of trying to get everything from the work. And I think that was what I started to realize was I was putting too much pressure on the work itself, the work at Fizzle even, to deliver everything. 
And maybe it wasn't meant to do that. How did your ego respond to that idea? I think it definitely took a few days to start to fully process that, to really understand that maybe the problem was not at all with work. Maybe the problem was that I wasn't doing enough outside of work to bring the rest of that sense of meaning to my life. Amen. Can you say that again? I got goosebumps. It just made me realize that maybe at the end of the day, my work was not meant to give me 100% of my sense of meaning and that I wasn't doing the work outside of my job to derive that full sense of meaning, to, to find that in other things. And that was my number one takeaway was that I had work to do outside of work if I wanted to feel the way I wanted to feel. And do you think you would have gotten there had you just switched jobs when your ego wanted to initially just escape? I think that's an undoubted no. I can't imagine there being a scenario where that would be true simply because the easiest thing to do when you change to a new project or a new job or new anything is to pour yourself into it because you have all of this new energy and motivation and it's kind of this euphoria of the newness and it's so easy to get lost in that only to find yourself six months or a year or two years or five years later, realizing that you're right back where you started. That's why we just said, remember when we started and we said, it's like you take the same problem and you're in a new circumstance, but the problem just reappears. There you go. For this, if you're giving your all to your work, you're going to find the same thing happening again because you're going to go somewhere new where you get to give it your all again. And you're just going to get disenfranchised with that thought after you realize it's you know lacking in some ways. <laughs> and then you'll switch and go give it your all again. And the new thing that you go do after that, right? That's how literally in this circumstance, that same thing could have been replayed a million times, no matter what direction you shifted your career. Because you're shifting and that attention influx goes in, it allows you to keep pouring into one facet of your life instead of investing in the others. And how sad that would have been for so many different reasons. The first of which is that Fizzle is an incredible platform for me. I mean, it's it gives me far more influence and reach and power to change people's lives than I would have for years and years by starting a new thing on my own and probably more than I can find in almost any other job I'm going to go out and get right now. And I think I it's easy to forget that in the day-to-day, you know, when it looks like to me sitting down for an hour and recording a podcast, what it looks like to the world is thousands and thousands of people downloading that and listening to the words every week. But not only that, it would have left me without the opportunity to pursue the other things that, that mean something to me, that give me a sense of interest and vitality and just optimism in the world. You know, I would not be pursuing some of those things that I am now had I just gone on to the next thing. Yes. And we're not saying that you had the same values that they have. We've talked about this. You don't have the same exact core values intrinsically within yourself that the other founders do. So how have you been able to find that fulfillment for yourself given you guys do share different values? So, you know, this was a concept we talked about the other day that helped me visualize what went on there. And it was this idea of concentric circles and shared values versus kind of personal values. And I think in the case of Fizzle, we do share some values. Some of the things that we value individually are overlapped. And I think many of those are what factor into what's not going to change about the Fizzle culture over time. And so I think part of it was realizing that some of those are shared. 
that we do believe some of the same things. We do value some of the same things. And that it's healthy that we don't have 100% overlap because that leads to groupthink and it leads to a lack of different perspectives and a lack of being able to have empathy for many different types of customers who have many different types of values. And so I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest takeaway was we do share some values and I should focus on those and emphasize those at work. And then for the other values that I have that I don't share with the team, find other outlets for those, find other ways to pursue those in my life and set goals and intentions around those outside of work and then emphasize those just as much as I do my work day to day. And that was powerful for me. So like in the past two weeks, for example, I really value my health and I really value kind of the natural world and getting outside, spending time outside. It connects me to my my intuition, to my ideas, to my religion, to all of that getting outside does. In the past two weeks, I've gone skiing twice on work days, which is perfectly aligned with the values of the fizzle culture. And it allows me to pursue some of my other values that don't get embodied in my actual work at Fizzle. You know, I'm not going to go skiing as a part of my work. I'm not going to go hiking as a part of my work. But part of the Fizzle culture is that we value the lifestyle we can lead outside of work because of the nature of the business. And I had never taken advantage of that before, which is so interesting to me because I was putting so much pressure on what I wanted from Fizzle when maybe what I needed to do was let off of what I was demanding from Fizzle and explore other things outside of it. Right. And if you had switched jobs, just to go back to that, because I know that's so enticing when we're trapped in this thought of like feeling trapped and wanting to get out, that you would be giving your all somewhere else and you would not be going skiing right now. There's no way. I've never heard of another organization that I've applied for a job at where that would be acceptable. And yet at Fizzle, it's almost an inherent part of who we are is, yes, you should do that because it's, number one, going to make you happier as a human being. Number two, it's probably going to help you do better work. And number three, if the work gets done outside of that, we don't care when or where or how you work. That sounds like the growth you just made, right? Because you were saying before that you weren't able to get everything out. But what you just said seems to be kind of the core values of the company that you were kind of butting up against. And now it sounds like you've learned that lesson that life had for you in this company. I think so. And I hope that, you know, it's early in the process. And all I can say is that I'm doing my very best to adopt those values in a way that allow me to live my other values elsewhere. And it's been an important learning experience for me. And I hope that it continues to influence me and that it's not kind of a flash in the pan, but that it's something that I continue to build on over time. So how has your day-to-day experience changed with this new understanding besides skiing? <laughs> how is your emotional life different? It's honestly very challenging for me. It's hard not to feel guilty for not giving 150% of myself to my work. It's hard not to feel guilty for taking the time to take care of myself outside of work, for um, being intentional about, you know, whatever, grabbing a coffee with a friend during the day or making time for my fiance who gets to work at home on Fridays or whatever it's still hard for me not to feel like I should be butt in seat, you know, eyes on the computer doing some kind of work or acting like I'm doing some kind of work. But in reality, last week I had a friend in town for two days. I went skiing for a half day and I wrote a post for my own personal writing on my own site. And yet I got all of the important tasks done at work. And so part of me feels guilty for that because I wasn't butt in chair for 60 hours or whatever. 
But the other part of me says, maybe that's what it's supposed to be. It was exactly how I did it. I'm still having to adjust with that. It's a challenge. It's a fundamental change in mindset and approach that's going to take time, I think, to set in. Do you think that that thought, the ego trying to sit you in the chair, is that kind of the hustle rhetoric we hear about in the online business world, especially, that's kind of telling you that there's something wrong here if you're living in this other way? I think that's a lot of it. I think that it's hard not to hear that as a challenge, for me at least, for my personality. I'm, I'm so driven and focused and responsible, as people put it. You know, I, I have this sense of burden for others and for the work and for everything in my life where it's hard for me to hear that hustle mentality from people and not hear it as a challenge to me. Most people don't work this hard. You know, most people aren't willing to do what it takes, whatever the message is. To do what it takes. And it's like, what does what take, right? To do what it takes. What is it? And then what does it take? It really, we don't even question that. We just think it takes as much as we have. Whatever it is, it takes all of us. That's what it takes. But we don't even ever question, like, what is the it that we're itting, you know? Right. And what if the it doesn't take everything that you have? What if you can get the it without sacrificing everything else in your life? And I think that's the core question that I'm kind of living through. What if it's you're just your life? Doing what it takes is like what your life takes. And your life takes so many different aspects of you, not just work. Yeah. And for, you know, in a culture that values work and that values hard work, quote unquote, so much, it's very uh, kind of iconoclastic or countercultural to go against that. The thing is, it makes people uncomfortable as well. It makes people around you uncomfortable with the fact that that can possibly be your reality. It starts to seem unfair to some people. And, and I've been through these periods of growth before where there's always distance created between you and some of the people you care about in this growth process. It's just inevitable because you start to learn things about yourself and about the world that haven't revealed themselves to others yet and may never, uh, they may never be open to it. And you're gonna lose some relationships in the process and I think that's really hard. I haven't seen that yet now, but it's always a fear I have because I know it's happened in the past. It's kind of interesting. I don't think I've shared this yet on the show, but one of the thoughts that we shared in our conversation, and I've been sharing more and more and rolling around in my head, I think this will become a big part of my work, is recognizing when we use our values as swords or sticks against others. So what can happen? I've had some situations where you mentioned these relationships where if they don't have the same perspective or learnings, you know, maybe they'll never get there and that kind of thing. I've had those thoughts before and recognized in more recent times that when I have an understanding about something and I know what's really important to me in that area and other people don't share what's really important to me in that area, it's easy to especially if the other person, based on my learning and what my choices are, decides to judge what I do based on it. Okay, so let's say I have this lesson or this aha moment. I'm making actions that are new and different. They are not, but they are judging me for making the change that I'm making. Then what it's like is if they say anything to me that diminishes or is negative towards me about the situation, it's kind of what they're doing is like, depending on how hard they're pushing or criticizing or ridiculing or judging that it's kind of like they're picking up a sword or a stick or 
are just kind of poking me, depending on the severity of what they're doing, that they're poking me with their values. What's important to them? They're saying, you shouldn't be doing that because it's not important to them. So that judging is just like poking me with the stick. And what's very easy and so easy that it's, it took me a while to even see what was happening is I was doing it right back at them, especially if provoked. So if they're willing to cast the judgment, I'm willing and easily able to cast the judgment right back at them and say, well, yeah, I know you wouldn't do this, but I would never want that in my life, right? And it's been fascinating to kind of just have this awareness of the sticks or the swords or the poking that happens so much in so many different areas, especially in relationships with families and friends or coworkers or people online, right? It really just happens at any time where two people have different values and one decides to try to judge the other based on their core set of values that they hold within themselves that may not be shared by the other person. And what I've recognized out of this whole sword or stick analogy is that maybe there's another way. Maybe we could learn to, to hone in on what is most important to that other person and celebrate them for living their values. And also, in doing so, hopefully there can be a culture shift where if I'm living my values, instead of judging me for it in this situation, they might celebrate the fact that I'm living my values and that we're all taking a moment to like take out the log in our own eye, which is a you know Bible phrase that I have not thought about in decades. <laughs> but as we were talking in our conversation last week, I kept thinking about this sword thing. And I was like, isn't that funny that they say, you know, don't pick at the splinter in someone else's eye, like take out the, the log in your own eye. And what I haven't realized until this sword and stick analogy is that that's, I think, one interpretation, if you will, of that idea of fixate on the problem of the other person until you get rid of the the log in your own eye isn't to say, I think we don't, or I have never understood that as stop judging them (laughs) because of your own values, just because they might be judging back. The fact is that we need to like look at what we're doing and how we're perceiving other people and just let them be, let them be where they're at and let them live their lives at that place and hopefully help to encourage them to live their values in that place. If that's what's truly most important to them, instead of trying to just shift them to our side of whatever's important to us. Right. And I think that's always the hardest part for me is when the values for someone who's close to me, they haven't taken the time to define them and they're lashing out. It especially hurts when they lash out at me for something that I have defined that is still undefined for them. Or maybe it's not. Maybe they just haven't taken the time to vocalize it or or to understand it inside of themselves. That would be my guess is like looking at their actions. Where's the why behind that action? And if you can find that, you find the values, even if they are not even thinking in those terms. Right. So I agree with you. I think that continuing to spread the idea that values matter and being able to point to a value instead of to a person is really important. And it allows us to understand each other and to care for each other, even when we don't have 100% of the same values. Yeah, so maybe let's look at our hustle example we just talked about. So if someone is valuing hustle, a la Gary Vaynerchuk, that if they're hustling and that's important to them and it seems inherently fulfilling to them, like Gary, we would never want to say, Gary, you shouldn't work 
24 hours a day or whatever he's trying to do at this phase of his life, right? That we should celebrate him for doing what is most important to him instead of judging him or saying that this is a negative thought out there in the world that's being promoted by him that isn't for everyone else to say he is living his values. Isn't that wonderful? But also give ourselves the awareness that those are his sets of values and we don't have to have the same ones in order to live what's most importantly and inherently fulfilling to us. Or even to appreciate him. You, you know, we had this interesting conversation the other day that was so often I think we pay attention to influencers and assume that we should have their values. When in fact, the better thing to do, I think, is to start with who am I? What do I value? And then to go out into the world and find influences and to recognize that you're not always going to align with them. And that doesn't mean you can't watch Gary Vee's vlogs or you can't read his writing or you can't pay attention to him on Snapchat or whatever. But it means understand that if you do have different values, you don't have to take his as dogma. You don't have to adopt them to appreciate him. I think that what happens in that case, this is my hypothesis for Gary, for example, or anyone like a Gary, is that like he would be working this much that he does. For everyone that doesn't know, Gary Vaynerchuk is a wonderful business expert out there who has hustled his way to the top of whatever mountain he's trying to climb in many different ways over his years. And I think what's interesting is people see him as quote unquote successful. So they're interviewing him and they say, how do you do it, Gary? And so he just shares what worked for him based on his own values. And then we say, well, if you want to get to where Gary is, you've got to do what Gary's done, which is just saying that if you want that outcome, follow his values. When that may not be the truth, like maybe you can get there in some other way, following other values. Maybe that's a possibility. I'm not saying there is or is not that truth in this scenario. But then we start looking and all he's saying is what's important to him and the actions he's taken. But then we start saying that's the way to do it, right? That's the way we have to do it too. Kind of becomes this subtle marching order for us. And then we just start following along. Or sometimes an excuse. Ooh, how an excuse? Well, I think sometimes we use examples like that as an excuse for why we can't do something similar. When many times I think if you dig hard enough or you search wide enough that you can find another example of similar success based on a completely different set of values that might be much more aligned with yours. And so I think, you know, it goes both ways. The pendulum swings both ways where, you know, I, I wouldn't say you should use any other person's set of values as an excuse for why you can't achieve what they've achieved if that's what you want. And it doesn't also mean that you have to adopt their values in order to achieve that. Also that you have to question whether the achievement is worth getting, right? Because if it is not in alignment with your values, getting it is going to be empty. Getting to the Gary interview or award he might get, he finds it inherently fulfilling to do that work 24 seven. And he's not even doing it 24 seven. He doesn't talk as much about all the time he does take off to be with his family too, which is also a scary thing. If we don't know the 360 of that person, then we can also just take the banner, the overall message, but not really know the details of that and say, we have to work 24 seven like he does, but even he takes a lot of vacation. So as much as he might work 23 hours a day, five days a week, there's probably eight weeks of vacation he's shared that he takes. We may not be taking eight weeks of vacation a year ourselves. The thing that they have ultimately may not mean anything to us if we have to override our values to get it. 
And I also, I think I share this with you. I think that the people with that hustle mentality, I think one other missing piece of this puzzle in our culture is that we are not looking at personality type when we're keeping this in mind. So Gary, like I said, you could put him in uh, the 1800s. I bet he'd be a, a railroad baron, right? You put him in any time of life and history. He is going to be working really hard and hustling because that is who he is. It's not because it's trendy in 2015. He's just doing it through the tools that are available to him in this modern technology. But And we're also able to disseminate his information and perspective in an unprecedented way than before any other time in history where we could see all of these little pieces of content so much. Before, in the 1800s, we wouldn't even know who Gary is unless he's like a Rockefeller. And then you just kind of read him in the newspapers, but you're not following his Snapchat and his videos and all of these different you know, touch points of this person's point of view. And what about our personality types? What, you know, there is like the quote unquote CEO Myers-Briggs personality type, for example, that a large majority of CEOs happen to be this one. Obviously not all of them, but those people probably could easily be promoting what is according to their values and their personality type and be at the top of those businesses and then promoting this rhetoric. And then there's what, a billion other personality types out there. Not really. There's probably like two dozen, 16 other personality types that may not align with those values of the actions it would take. And so we're all kind of fitting ourselves into perhaps, if we're not questioning what's most important to us, the wrong personality type to something that's not really necessarily best suited for our own intrinsic personality or interests. And what that brings it back to for me is just this whole idea of developing a holistic sense of self-awareness about who we are as people and what drives us and what personality we have and what communication style we have and what values we have and what we want from our lives and starting there. You know, I think there is a period of exploration you have to go through to be exposed to many different possibilities so that you can be aware enough to develop that for yourself, but it's going to grow and change over time. And so why not start today with that, with developing that sense of self-awareness and living based on that? And yeah, I've thought a lot about our conversation in terms of the impact that I or the show may have for those listening in terms of like, we're just mentioning Gary because he's kind of... I don't even know that he himself has promoted this as now just Gary is now just kind of pegged as the hustle guy and the fall man for the hustle rhetoric if we're going to pick on it. Like Gary's the easy person to pick. And I love Gary and I have followed him for years. So I really deeply respect him and I totally love that he's living his values in such a wonderful way. It just gets a little tricky when maybe we all don't have those same values and we're following them because it's like you said, it's the thing to do or we feel like it is. But I want the show to help people look within themselves and their own intuitions to uncover what is important to them in a greater way. And I hope that the guests that I have on the show, like you, Barrett, as a great example, or you know, I'll have the Lewis House or the Gary Vaynerchuk on the show, and they'll talk about their values. But also we'll have Melissa Gronkowski's or the Jessica Flanagan's, who was the episode about being intentionally average in her career in this season of her life so that she could be an excellent, excellent mother given the time and resources that she has available to her in this season. So I hope that people find a deeper awareness of what's important to them rather than 
to take on any one person who's been on the show or even my own values, right? Like I don't want people to take my values. I want them to see me practicing my values and see what it can look like to be someone who's trying to uncover values, live from them, fall, pick yourself up, back up again and keep going. Like I want them to see that out of me, but that they don't need to have the same values that I have inherently in myself or any other guest that's been on the show. Because you're right, it can become this thing if we if we're just promoting our own voices and our own values that often doesn't lead us to the introspection that helps us uncover our own voices and our own values. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let's kind of circle back to Fizzle. (laughs) We've gone on these tangents. Would you say that the team has seen any changes in you since this new revelation has come about for you? I think so. Yeah, I think that before, to use the terminology we've been using, I think I was probably poking at them with sticks. Now I think I'm much more focused on me in the context of Fizzle instead of trying to mold Fizzle to my context. And that releasing that, releasing the burden on Fizzle has been, I think, really powerful for me and for everyone. I think it's going to create a much better communication style between all of us. It's going to create a much stronger culture. And I think it's going to allow us to more proactively communicate exactly who we are as a company if and when we decide to hire new people onto the team. I think this whole process has allowed us to kind of get that on paper and to agree on what it is we are and what it is we aren't. And so people can opt into that as they come in, as opposed to finding it out as we go. Uh, And we'll always be growing and changing, of course, as an organization. But yeah, I think there have been a lot of positive changes. And, you know, I think there will be a balance that I continue to have to find between doing good work and making sure I deliver on my promises at work and also enjoying all of the other things life has to offer. And that'll be an interesting balance to walk and to to discuss with them as they do the same. I can imagine the next time you do make a shift and maybe you dive in headfirst into something new and that it seems to hit all the boxes. <laughs> and as it starts to uncheck those boxes as reality of, of whatever that next situation and circumstances would be limitations wise and advantages, that the cool thing will be instead of looking at that as friction or a source of a problem that feels trapped, that you feel trapped in, that you look at it as an invitation to start reinvesting in the other areas of your life at that time. Yeah, I think so. And I guess my ideal scenario would be that I try not to get so lost along the way, that I continue to connect to myself and that I continue to look inward first rather than putting that burden on the work or on any given facet of my life as the first order of business, you know, really looking internally on an ongoing basis. I think that'll be really healthy for me and for all of the, you know, whether it's my work or my relationships or whatever else it might be. How do you plan to do that? You know, a big change I've made this year is I didn't set any goals, only set an overarching intention, which is quite different for me. I've always set kind of a theme or intention for the year and then set a ton of goals for that as well. But my theme for this year is to seek out joy and to really just listen to myself on a given day and really pursue whatever seems like it will be a fulfillment of my values and to focus on morning routine, which includes a set of mantras that are just good reminders for me of continuing to look inward and remind myself that my worth exists outside of my work and things like that. And then I think just having an ongoing review process that was kind of part of what led to some of these revelations recently. At the end of the year, yes, but maybe also midway through the year will help to kind of check back in, look back at some of the learnings that I had here and see if anything's changed since I last went through that process. 
Any doubts or internal resistance that you're currently facing in your life right now? So I think it would almost always be dishonest to say no <laughs> to that. But yeah, I, th I think it's an interesting time of life for me. I'm realizing a lot of things at work. Uh, I'm exploring new things on my own. I think I've opened myself up to going and doing the things that I want to do without anyone else there. So things like going skiing on my own or finding my priorities and pursuing those. That's something I'm challenged by, actually. I'm so other focused. I love serving people. It, it's really meaningful to me to serve people in ways that make them feel good and supported that sometimes it's hard for me to focus on myself. And that's been challenging in a good way so far, uh, especially in 2016. And we'll see if that continues or not. I'd love for you to speak to anyone else who may be feeling trapped in their careers, who may feel like they're not sure if they should leave or if they should focus on their own values and look inward. What would you tell them if they're just starting out on this journey? I would say that regardless of whether you should move on to what's next or whether you should stay put and fight through it, always start by looking inward. It's so easy to judge the situation or to place the burden on someone else or something else or some organization and not on yourself. And I think the healthiest, most responsible, most authentic thing you can do is to start by looking inward and start by asking yourself, what are my values and does my work reflect that? And how might I make what I'm doing right now mold to my values or embody my values more and then use that as a basis for making a decision about what comes next as opposed to making assumptions right up front about the fact that you need to move on or you need to do this or that. Maybe start with the assumption that all you need is a little bit of an internal change and everything will start to feel much better. That doesn't mean it will always work out that way, but it does mean I think it's a healthier place to start. Barrett, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. It's been awesome to have you here and to share your story and to just talk about this stuff with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you giving me a place to have the conversation. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for listening. And Barrett, thank you for coming on the show. If you want to send Barrett a message, you can do so over at Barrett A. Brooks on Twitter. And if you want to find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, you can find me at Jess C as in Cupcake Lively. For show notes for today's episode, hop over to jesslively.com slash Barrett Brooks. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's talk with Christine Breton of lafabear.com about today's sponsor, Squarespace. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Jess. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Aw, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, about two years ago, after the birth of my third son, I decided to finally pursue a passion project idea of mine that I had dreamed about for quite a while. Having three kids and longing for a more balanced and fulfilled lifestyle, I jumped in with both feet and I launched my company called Lafa Bear. It's a luxury wedding invitation design company and also an Etsy shop where I sell art prints and handcrafted wedding bow prints. And pretty soon I'll be adding nursery and baby prints to the shop as well. So I'm super excited about that. Where'd you get the name Lafa Bear? Well, my maiden name is Lefave, and so my husband and I were brainstorming some names one evening, and I wanted to incorporate that into my company name. And so in Latin, Faber means maker, and I, it just suited my style and uh, my product so perfectly. So that's how we came up with the name Lafaber. So why did you choose Squarespace specifically for your website? I knew about other web building platforms because I have such an extensive background in graphic design. 
But when I was choosing a platform for my website, I was really looking for something that would be very easy to use. Since I'm starting La Faber from scratch and in my fringe hours, I don't have a lot of time or money to spend on paying a programmer for a customized website. So I needed something that was well-designed and simple to customize myself. Squarespace offered both of those key features, and it's super affordable, especially with the Just Lively discount that I used. So it was a no-brainer for me to go with them. Did you find out about Squarespace through the show, or did you know and you just capitalized on the discount code? No, I found out through your awesome podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so what do you love about Squarespace the most? Oh my gosh. Okay, where do I even begin? (laughs) Uh, I love how beautifully designed all of their templates are. Being a graphic designer, it was super important for me, and it was really hard for me to pick just one template. All of their templates are so beautiful and they work seamlessly and have so many features like galleries and a built-in blog and incorporating social media is such a breeze. Adding content and updating the website and blog is super simple and I can do it all by myself. I don't have to contact a web developer to add updates or make a change to my site, which is so key when you're running a business these days. It's really important for me to be able to make changes quickly and easily. Since um, I'm constantly having to update my website and social media being a key component to promoting and advertising Nafa Bear, Squarespace makes it really easy to integrate Instagram and Pinterest with my website. What would you tell anyone who's thinking about building a new website themselves? One tip that I can give is to have consistent visual brand presence and a vision for your website and blog. People see so many visuals and graphics throughout the day and their attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. So we need to be able to grab their attention super quickly and efficiently. Squarespace templates are really well designed and help make your content captivating and a strong logo and great blog graphics and photos really help to grow awareness about your project and your brand. Well said. So for anyone who's looking to give this a try and use the code like Christine did, Ian, get 10% off of your service. Here's what to do. So first, go over to squarespace.com slash lively and enter the code lively at checkout. Just by going to squarespace.com slash lively, you're going to get a free 14-day trial. And by entering the code lively at checkout, if you want to go forward with the paid service, you get that 10% off because of that lively code. Christine, where can people find you online? You can find all the details about Lafaber at lafaber.com. So that's L-A-F-A-B-E-R-E.com. That's my French Canadian heritage coming out right there. And you can also find me on Facebook and Pinterest. And I'm always posting on Instagram at Christine Breton. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks to you, Jess. And now for a sneak peek. Next Thursday on the show, we're having Mariana Lopez-Gonzalez here on The Lively Show. I found out about Mariana through Life with Intention Online because she's one of our members, but in learning more about her and her experience that she had at the age of 19 and ever since, I knew I needed to share her life and her experience here on the show. Mariana, at 19 years old, was diagnosed with a brain tumor that changed the course of her life forever in deeply profound ways. And one of the ways that she is still dealing with is the fact that she cannot swallow liquids or food. So she cannot eat or drink since she was 19 years old and she's now 26. 
Of course, there's many other things that she's learned along the way, but just hearing that alone and going, wow, this person has had possibly their last meal at 19 years old. How often do we think about what our last meal would be? And we think it'd be like the meal we'd have before we died. But what if we had up to who knows how many years to live, 80 years, but we had our last meal at 19? I knew there was so much to learn from her and her experience with this, and I was not surprised. I was totally right. There is so much wisdom, grace, and love in this episode. I think I've teared up in this episode more than any other just because of the profound power of her story and her message. I cannot wait to share this one with you guys. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 